Hi, thanks for listening to my podcast. Let me introduce you with Jane Milton. I've been working with food businesses for 35 years and now I'm taking you behind the scenes in my business to connect with some of the great specialists, entrepreneurs and producers that we work with to hear how we create strategies that inspire business and how we help them create the perfect teams for specific projects and for their business as it grows so that they can get great results faster and much more cost effectively with our support than they would on their own. I truly believe the food industry in the UK has some of the best people in it and I'm lucky enough to know and work with the very best of those. Let me introduce you to Daniel Hind. Daniel and I met on LinkedIn when he had just moved to London. We got together for a cuppa so I could learn more about what he enjoys doing and introduce him to some of my network. Daniel runs Greater Good, a branding and design agency working with challenger brands and well-established FMCG businesses, largely in food. He's also, as you will hear, about to launch his own range of alcohol-free drinks called Reformed Characters. I can't wait to be able to try these as the flavours all sound really punchy, clean and different. Starting Reformed Characters, he says, has taught him a lot too, and he's happy to share those learnings with his branding clients. How would you describe your work to other people? And I know that that's a multifaceted question now. So So I would say that I'm a brand and graphic designer. I specialize in FMCG and CPG, um, consumer packaged goods. The bulk of my work, I'd say, is branding, packaging, brand strategy. But then I also help brands a lot with things like retail strategy and how these kind of consumer and challenger brands can kind of gain more of a profile and start to get more interest in the kind of major molts. Brilliant. That's, I mean, and that's a, a huge thing. And it's brilliant that people can have access to somebody like you at that stage in their early stage as a challenger because it's such an expensive thing to do and to get wrong and to have to do again so it's brilliant that you're working with a lot of different people and I think sometimes people fail to understand how important that is and and how much their success or failure will pivot on how strong their brand is so sometimes they've got a very small budget but they have to make it do a lot for them definitely to stand out Exactly. And, you know, I do think there's there's a lot of people out there these days doing design, you know, the whole kind of freelancer mentality. And after COVID, I think we've seen such a shift to more, you know, everyone's going freelance and stuff. And there's such a plethora of people in design. But I think to genuinely find those people in design for food, to have that full kind of background in food and that kind of knowledge within food retail, and especially as well of how something should be living on shelf and direct consumer as well. I think that's quite hard to come by. So tell me what your friends and family think your job is, because this is a common problem within, certainly within the food and drink sphere that people haven't a clue really what that means you do. Yeah, so I think it's interesting. My my friends and family, I think they're starting to come around to the idea now that I work in food, because I've kind of been saying to people for so long, I, I work in food, if you know what I mean. I've been saying for so long, like, I'm not a graphic designer, I work in food. I think I just prefer the term yep. work in food to a graphic designer. But, you know, I think a lot of people don't really realise the kind of the work that goes into it from a design aspect. And a lot of the time as well, when I'm working with clients and stuff, you know, I started out as a graphic designer, but a lot of that help can be things like product development, kind of feeding back on products, SKUs, um, div- um, range development and stuff like that as well. So it can be a little bit confusing. Yeah, it's, w- it's wider than than 
typical graphic design skills might lead people to think you would be doing. Yeah, definitely. Um, when did you first know that design and branding caught your imagination? You know, what age were you when you started to channel yourself towards this part of of your work life? So I was quite young, realistically. I started doing design when I was about 14. And I remember I had my first kind of paying client when I was 14. And I think, you know, I was very kind of creative and I really, we'd started studying kind of design in school and I had this kind of really strict graphics teacher and she was kind of obsessed with like packaging and she'd bring in these kind of packaging from like Fortnum and Mason's and Harrods and Selfridges of these like beautiful packages. And I really aspired to that and wanted to kind of create work like that. And then from a young age, kind of having been able to get those freelance clients and realising that I could actually make a bit of cash from it. It was a win-win situation for me. Brilliant. No, that's really good. Gosh, that's early, isn't it? And then what did you do then when you were looking for courses and things to study? Where did you study and what did you choose? And So I started studying art. And then I think it got to a point and I was kind of, do I kind of go down that traditional art route and do more printmaking and um, illustration and that kind of thing? Or do I go more specifically and study for degree level graphic design? I decided to go for graphic design just because I thought there's more of a future in terms of actually making some money. Whereas I had a lot of friends that were studying art and, you know, they'd kind of been doing it for six, seven years and they still weren't kind of making any money no. realistically or- but my passion I do I do have quite a passion for art as well and I I do wonder kind of how different my life would have been if I'd have gone down that path but you've helped a lot of people I know so I think other folk would be very grateful that you you came this way and I think it is it's difficult isn't it when some people you know like if somebody studies accountancy it's very clear what they're going to do with that you will be an accountant either in an accountancy practice or in a business or something and I think when you do something broader sometimes it's harder because people can't exactly see the direct role at the end of it but I you know what I mean a lot of people get art related degrees and then get a second degree in something else and do something totally different with it you know but I think if you'd already identified to that packaging was something that you like doing that this has been a a strong a strong choice I'm certainly glad you've done it oh thank you growing up did you have any ideas about jobs and things that you thought you would do No, so I think about this quite a lot. I remember my mum used to say, and she was kind of very kind of adamant on it. She said, you know, if you find something that you're truly passionate about, you'll never work a day in your life. And my parents were never the kind of people to sway you into, you know, oh, you should do this because it earns more money, or you should do this, or you should have a corporate career. I think she just kind of really instilled into me specifically, you know, that do something you enjoy and it's not a job, it's a passion. I think that's... And that's genuinely how I feel about my work. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't ever get the Monday morning feeling about coming back into work or anything either that way. So I think I think it's right. No, that's very true. What kind of first impression do you hope you give people that you meet? I think for me, over the years, kind of working with so many hundreds of clients and meeting other consultants, other kind of people in design, other people in food retailing, other people in FMCG and stuff. I think the kind of persona I really like to give off is passion and authenticity, if you know what I mean. And I feel like that with everyone I work with, I want to see that kind of genuine passion in what they're doing, the people that are involved in it, the people within the business, suppliers, whatever. So passion for me is key. Yeah, I think. And I like to work with, you know, you're very much the same, Jane. I like to work with people that I consider friends and people who've got the same kind of morals as me and 
I'm re- a strong believer yeah. in that. I, I I personally know, and I and I know from what I know of you too, that I wouldn't be comfortable if I wasn't doing that. If I was working with somebody, sometimes people approach us to do something, and I get a gut feeling that they're not the right person. So they're not going to be the right fit. They're not going to want to do stuff the way that I know it works best for us if we do it. And so sometimes you have to say, I don't actually think we're the right fit for you. And if I can, I'll suggest somebody that I think might be. But whenever I have ignored those feelings, that has definitely come back to bite me. So I think that's just something too that comes with having been in the industry for a long time now. I just think... I know you're not the right fit. I know you don't do things the same way as we do. So I know it's not right. And I know that I won't enjoy the process as much with that person and they won't get as much out of us. So it's better to say no at that stage, you know. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, even with a lot of a lot of the clients I've kind of had have over um, a, a lot of the clients I've had over the years, they've kind of ended up towards the end of the relationships. You know, they might kind of go for bigger agencies and stuff, but a lot of those people have become friends and now I'm running my own kind of drinks business. These people are in my network and people I consider friends, which are invaluable. Yep. And I feel lucky that I have that kind of strong network around me. And it's not just a network, you know, it's people I genuinely consider as friends. Now, you've just touched on the fact that you also now have begun a drinks business um, called yes. Reformed Characters, which I love the name of. Oh, thank you. Can you tell us what made you decide to do that as well, you know, in parallel with all your branding and design and those sort of things? What what was it that gave you the impetus to to have your own brand as well? So around three years ago, um, I'd, I've always kind of considered myself a big kind of social drinker, if you know what I mean. And then as I kind of started getting towards, I think I was around 27, I just started noticing that my hangovers were getting a thousand times worse. I was, I felt very depressed all the time. And I just started to realise that alcohol was not serving me in the same way it had done in the past. And this kind of started as a niggling thought. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll do a dry January. I did a dry January. I think I did my first one in 2016. And I couldn't believe from taking a month off alcohol, the depression, which I'd realistically suffered from all my life, my depression lifted. I had more energy. I'd always had insomnia. My insomnia went. I had more energy to start going to the gym again. I just felt genuinely like positive about life again. And I couldn't believe that the kind of, the typical kind of London drinking on the weekends I'd been doing had kind of just crippled me with this anxiety and depression so I felt completely kind of overwhelmed by it I was like oh my god this is amazing and at the time you know there was a few kind of brands in the non-art space it was quite a few years ago now Mm. but you know it was a kind of like of seed lip and there was some other kind of distillates Mm. and other brands coming into the space but I felt like for the kind of whole mental health conversation and the the impact it can have on people's lives moderating drinking or giving up alcohol completely and going sober I felt like the brands in the space kind of weren't having those conversations I felt like it was very brave conversations to be had, but no one in that space was really doing it. Brilliant. And I still, and to this day, I kind of still think a lot of the brands out there, you know, they kind of sit on the shelf, same as alcohol. And, you know, past that kind of moment of drinking at what, how do they kind of, how are they navigating and educating consumers on this life-changing um, lifestyle choice? And I think for some of them, that would be an uncomfortable conversation to have because they possibly also have alcohol brands. So, you know, for yes, for exactly. some, they're not in a position where they would feel they would want to do that. Others, they've come at it 
for a different reason, but I think it's phenomenal that you, because I mean, I, I guess too, prior to it, you had not made the connection to how you were feeling being caused largely by what you were drinking. You know, you just hadn't made that no, connection. Not, not at all, you know, and I, and now because I'm kind of so open about drinking and I've really kind of educated myself on it and how even, you know, a pint, two pints on a Tuesday night, that can lower your mood. It's kind of it's that instant dopamine rush yep. and how that overstimulation of dopamine over time constantly, how that can lead to man- problems with mental health and stuff. Yep. But I find now so many friends kind of come forward and say to me, you know, oh, I feel as soon as I drink, I feel depressed. Like I feel depressed for two, three days. And I just say like, you know, look at how much you're drinking and then look at how scientifically how that's kind of altering your body and your mind state. And it's, it's kind of no mystery why you feel mm-hmm. really awful for two, three days after binge drinking. Yep. No, I can I can understand that. And that and that's the key, you know, for me. It is it's a case of binge drinking. You know, if you if you're gonna have one glass of wine or something, you're probably not gonna feel that awful. But if you're someone like me in my thirties, drinking in London, binge drinking on a weekend, you know, come Monday you are gonna be having that blue Monday and you're gonna be feeling pretty bad. No, that's good. And then so tell me about the range and what you're going to launch, because we're just pre-launch at the moment. Tell me about how you've picked what you're going to begin the range with. Of course. So the drinks are botanical non-alcoholic drinks, not on alcohol, but with the complexity and mouthfeel of a hard mixer and a spirit. I've been really kind of adamant in the product development, you know, that I want these, for want of a better word, to taste boozy. Yep. I think, you know, in that kind of moment of when I'm in a bar and I want everyone else is drinking around me i want to i want to be drinking something which feels grown up i want it to be complex i want it to be bitter or and not full of sugar and not full of sugar exactly yeah. so the drinks are all low sugar low calorie natural and nearly organic that's my disclaimer it's nearly, <laughs> nearly organic. organic but that's great yeah so a very clean drink certainly and yeah, and definitely. with complex flavors and layers of flavor i mean i i know i, I don't drink a huge amount and not that often. And I know, you know, I've been out and you've had, um, I normally drink Angostura and soda because it's, yeah. has a bit of a taste to it, but you can only drink so many of them. And then I just feel that I'm looking for something else. Whereas these all sound really interesting. I love the sound of the flavors of them ginger, cardamom, and sweet orange, juniper, hops, and rosemary. I mean, these are incredible. Mixes of flavours and then pink grapefruit and aromatic herbs too. You know, they all sound interesting and they all sound like drinks that I would choose to drink, never mind whether I was trying not to drink alcohol or not. I just think they sound like a really good blend of some, some, oh, something interesting you. to have. And again, not that thing that you're going to wake up the next morning because I don't have a lot of sugar now. I quite often find that when I do, I wake up the next morning, I'm like, what is that taste in my mouth? Where did that yeah. come from? And then when I think back, I think, oh, I had a couple of drinks. And even if I had non-alcoholic drinks, it can just be the sugar in them. Yeah, 100%, yeah. you know. And when I've kind of started doing the whole thing of, Jesus, I've, at this point, I have honestly just tried like every single non-alcoholic drink out there. And I can kind of go out with friends on a Saturday night and have five or six non-alcoholic drinks and wake up in the morning and still kind of have that psychological hangover. Yep. And then when I learned about it in Redmore, it's because a lot of these drinks are just laced. And I mean, like, absolutely laced with sugars, sweeteners, natural flavorings, and a lot of stuff that can be masked within these drinks. Yep. And then on top of that, a lot of them are, you know, full of things like potassium sorbate and things like that to kind of preserve it for as long as possible. And so the effect that that has on you is not a clean product. Yeah, definitely. 
Often we ask people about role models. Obviously, sometimes people cite famous people that they know, but very often it's people that you've come across either in your school life, your working life, your university life. And what we say at this point is if it's somebody that you've learned good things from, say their name, if you've learned (laughs) from somebody how you never want to be treated, made to feel, expected to work, then don't say their name, but say what you learnt from them. <laughs> so um, who do you think your role models, good and bad, have been? I like that disclaimer. <laughs> um, so I'd say my role models, I can't think of anyone specifically that's a role model, but I've always kind of really looked up to the clients I work yep. with, if you know what I mean. I feel like, you know, and now it's starting my own business, I see like realistically within food, you know, it is not a get rich quick scheme. Nope. It is hard work. And there's clients I have, I really admire, you know, how they manage a team, how they've kind of kept their staff. You know, I've got some clients that have had their staff with them for six, seven years. And that's because they've fostered a nice place to work yep. where people feel genuinely valued and like they're actually advancing in, in their careers. And, and even if they can't pay them the hugest salaries and things, people see that it's a good place to work and that there is an opportunity 100%. for them and things. Yeah. Like that's so key. I, you know, I admire my, I admire people I work with that do a good job. Good. And that's a lot of people, you know, it's never no. just one person. No, that's really good. Good. Sometimes people say too much of something is never enough. What yeah. do you think too much of what is never enough for you? I saw your post this morning, actually, mm. on Instagram, the um, Oscar Wilde Yay. quote, and it made me think of this. So I think for me, now I'm kind of, I've done my, I feel like I've kind of put my drinking days to bed genuinely. Yep. I'm just happy to not do that anymore. But I found for me, like, food is just huge. Since I stopped drinking, I just eat so much, honestly, and my friends will constantly say I'm an absolute pig. I just feel like I really kind of luxuriate in food, and since stopping drinking... I feel like, you know, that's something I feel like even more entitled to. So if we go for a nice meal, I will feel obliged to eat probably twice as much as I would have done normally if I'd have just had a glass of wine instead. That's funny, isn't it? But it's like, and I think I I had a conversation with somebody a long time ago about somebody who had been alcohol and drug dependent and they had come off both of those. And I was saying to them, I definitely self-medicated with food that if I was really happy about something I'd be looking for a piece of food to reward myself as if I was the dog and if I had been really upset by something I'd be looking for a piece of food to reward myself and she told me to buy the most expensive candle that I could afford and to light it every time I wanted to reward myself instead of doing it with food and so that's that's what I did. And I always buy these really lovely oh, candles. Nice. And I've got them. And so, because what would happen to me is if I was working late at night, I'd be saying to myself, this isn't fair. I'm working. Everybody else is either out or they're in bed. You know, it annoys me that I'm having to do it. Therefore, I'm going to have something to eat. And without thinking, do I feel hungry? That never very rarely comes into the equation, to be honest, because I'm so interested in food that I can always find a corner to put something in. Um, but in terms of like not wanting just to eat for the sake of it, 
I, I now have gone with the candle theory and that works for me. So you maybe need to think about something other than food. I might need to invest in some candles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Either that or you have to start doing, and I know you already do, huge runs to try and get your calorie output beyond your eating output. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I never, ever thought I would run. And I'd said at one point to a personal trainer that I was working with, I cannot fit in any more exercise. And we were looking at my diary and he was agreeing with me. And so he said, well, the, the, those things, you have to up them. So you have to start running. And so I found myself running. But I mean, I you meet a lot of people in the food industry who are doing triathlons and all kinds of things. And it's all about expending more calories than they take in. It's like, if I love food and I really want to eat this much, then there has to be a way of getting rid of it. Exactly. Maybe starting smoking again. <laughs> no, we can't advocate that. Definitely no. Get a candle. That's your... Candles. Yep. What, when you look back, what surprises you that you've done, that you've stepped outside your comfort zone and done? What would you never have thought you would do? So genuinely, I speak about this a lot in my, with people in my office as well. You know, I never thought, if you told me like three, four years ago, you're not going to be drinking anymore. You're not going to be going around London pissed all the time. You're going to have started a non-alcoholic drink business. You're going to have to face sober. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. You're going to be starting the non-alcoholic drinks business and that's going to kind of become your life past design, if you know what I mean. I genuinely would not think that was on the cards for me. Brilliant. Which is exciting. I remember thinking, I remember thinking about four or five years ago, I just kind of moved to London. I was expecting this, you know, I'd kind of worked my way up through agencies and then working for myself and started my own agency. And I remember just thinking, you know, I do not feel challenged. And that was something I really struggled with. I was like, I need to kind of feel challenged. Stretched. Yeah, 100%. And I feel like from starting this business and having to learn everything that I've had to learn coming from a marketing background, if you know what I mean, I really feel challenged, which I love. It will massively help your clients too across your branding and design business because everything that you've learned, been able to push yourself to do, been able to show, you can share with other people in a way that you can't share what other people have done. You know, you can share what you've done yourself. It will massively help how you input into customers' businesses. I know when I had the chocolate brownie business, I learned so much, even although I had already been helping people with their own food businesses for a long time. I just learned so much from that business that I've been able to say to other people, don't do it at this point, do this Make sure you're properly funded. Make sure you, because otherwise you, it will always be a struggle for you, you know. So I do feel nothing is ever wasted and you always learn. But what you have learned will help so many other people too. It's great. Yeah. And I do find a lot of clients now when I kind of speak to them, I was, when I was kind of, you know, because I'm running the design business and the drinks business as well, it's kind of, when I speak to clients, I'm like, oh, should I tell them I've got another business in food? But now I'm quite open about it. I'm like, look, yeah, I've got another business in non-alcoholic drinks. And I find that clients are a lot more receptive to it because they actually know, you know, I'm not just someone that works in an agency advising someone. I'm actually living this and I know the reality. And of, putting you know, your own cost, cash into it. Absolutely. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it is a different reality to, you know, I, I was advising people for 11 12 years, you know, on how they should run a food business, who they should do, where they should retail. And then when you're actually involved in it yourself and you're looking at the numbers and everything else, you realise, you know, some things are not that simple and it's it's a process and there's milestones. And there are different which... stages at it. Absolutely. Exactly. No, I think that's really good. And I'm sure that that is true, that that has been a helpful thing. 
What have you learned about yourself that you wish you'd known earlier on? What is that thing that you maybe assumed everybody did that you now realise not everybody does do that you do? So I think I'm very resilient, which is also another word for stubborn. Um, it's, not, it's not just stubborn. It's so much more than stubborn. You know, I've had kind of so many challenges in getting this business off the ground and the product development has been nothing short of a nightmare because I've been very uncompromising mm-hmm. on it. But I'm kind of very impressed with myself, for want of a better word, that I've kind of really stuck to it and my vision and where I see this going. And I always say to everyone, you know, whenever I'm, I'm having a conversation with anyone about the business and where I see it going, if I, you know, if this was just an emotional thing for me and I invested my emotion in this business and it just lived as too much emotion, if you know what I mean, I, I could, I'd park that. Whereas... I think for me, you know, I'm realistic about this business. If I did not think it it was going to succeed, I would not do it. Because I see so many kind of clients that can come to me over the years and they've invested so much time and emotion over things. It gets in the way of actually a good business. And I think you've got, you've got to, you cannot help but be personally involved in it when you've put your money and your time and everything else into it. But I also think you've got to know when to take other people's advice and and to work on it, not in it. And, and step away or pull in other people who can do I mean in the beginning you have to do everything for yourself but I think you, everybody can should have a wish list of the bits that they're dying to get rid of because they know other people could do them better than them when they can step aside and pass those bits to other people too so yeah I think you can and I always say this you know I think you can really limit yourself especially yep. within food and drink you know you can really limit yourself by just thinking you know you're the founder you're going to be doing everything it's, unobt- it's unobtainable, yep. you know. It's like my myself now, you know. I know I haven't got a background in sales. At some point, it will make sense for me to work with someone in sales that has had a full career in sales. Do you know what I mean? As much as we need to give ourselves a full grounding in everything. Yeah, you've got to understand it so that you know if you're being told the right thing or not by somebody else or if there is another way or a different way of looking at things. But, yeah, and, and also from a customer point of view, you know, often people will say, I'll supply direct. I don't want to go through a distributor and things. But that means then for a distributor, that uh, for a, a retailer, that every time they order from you, they get an invoice that they have to process. And exactly. Whereas if you go through a distributor, that distributor brings in 40 things, 50 things. It makes their distribution costs less, which means they get more margin, you get more margin, the retailer gets more margin, but also it just cuts their paperwork massively because they're only having to exactly. deal with one distributor, you know. So I think sometimes there are things that are just not convenient for your customers too, and you have to accept that and look beyond it. Yeah, definitely. Good. Yeah. Um, what's the best thing you've eaten recently? Now that we know that you're always eating, what's the best thing oh, you've had? No. Um Oh, so we uh, we went recently to Birch. Do you know yep. the Birch, the kind of wellness yes. place? So I'm going to be really honest. I was not impressed with the majority of the food there, but the Zebra Riding yes. Club um, was really good. The food there it's was good. amazing. I'm going so they did at the, the end of the month for a weekend, so oh, that's, yeah. that's useful to know. Sorry for the disclaimer. No, 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 that's fine. That's good. Yeah, so the main kind of, there's all kind of different restaurants and stuff. I think the main the main ones inside the hotel, I found the food was all a little bit too elaborate when you're staying there for a few yep. days. But then the kind of set menu at the Zebra Riding Club was really good. We went for my birthday and oh, I was really brilliant. impressed. Oh, that's really good. That's a useful tip. What did you have or what? Jane, I'm going to be really honest. I can't even remember. There was so much yeah. of it, but it was good, honestly. Lovely. 
I think good. you'll enjoy. Good. No, no, I'm just and they do curious have, about they what do kind have of things really you like. Non-alcoholic drinks there oh, as good. well, which you would expect, wouldn't you, for a for a wellness yeah, drink? Exactly. So that's good. Good. What would you tell anyone that was starting a business like Greater Good branding or like Reformed Characters? What would you say? These are the things you've absolutely got to do at the beginning that you can't avoid doing. What would you say those were? Mm, so I think I'm going to speak more about the kind of non-alcoholic drinks business over the design business because I think they're so kind of different. Um, I'd say starting a business in FMCG, a food startup, I'd say kind of really do your research around the kind of people you're paying, especially with regards to kind of product development and stuff. You can burn through so much cash and then by the end of it, realise that what you actually hope to achieve has not been achieved and you need to work with someone else again. So I'd say kind of really, really kind of research who you're working with, get kind of introductions and don't just rush into that kind of thing because you can burn money fast. No, that's very good advice. Books. What do you read? Do you read business books or personal development books or? I am absolutely obsessed with reading and I'm awful. As soon as I kind of hear anything, you know, on podcasts or anything, if someone says, oh, there's this book, I'll buy it straight away. So I just have a ridiculously long reading Mm -hmm. list, but I really enjoy reading. But always kind of food and drink books, uh, business books, never anything with any salt to it. (laughs) But my mother is an avid reader and reads novels and non-fiction and fiction. And she's always saying to me, I think you would really like this book. And I'm like, "Mm." because Mm. I've always bought (laughs) half a dozen. In fact, there are two sitting in the office just now. That you know that I need to get read the. Um, oh, what are you reading? Um, what is the it? Green Grocer, which is um, Richard Walker from Iceland. That's his book oh, about. Nice. And then this is one that I'm reading for a program that I'm pulling together. So it's a, a test that you do that tells you just hones in on your strengths and weaknesses, so that you can then decide what you do about them. So those are, those are my next two. So amazing. They will soon be on my reading list too then. <laughs> I know. It's in fact, isn't I've always got stuff on my reading list. I'm always listening to podcasts. I um I, if a book comes out in Audible, then I do that. But then very often I still need to be able to physically mark things that I want to come back to. So then end up buying both versions and rushing home from a dog walk to mark the bit in the paper copy and <laughs> Yeah, and I find when you kind of work in food and drink, you know, everyone says to me all the time, oh my God, you've got so many books. Why don't you just get a Kindle or Audible or anything? But I really like to have the print version. And, you know, when I'm working with a client, I can say, oh my God, I know this book. And do you know what I mean? I just find I love to have it it there for reference. I, I, I love Audible as well because I can get through a lot more books than I would if I had to sit down and read them. Oh yeah, definitely. I am up very early in the morning and I have half an hour, about half an hour after I get up, when I read, because I can't read at night, I'm too tired. If you're reading those kind of books, you need to be awake to read them. Yeah, It's not like reading a story and you're hoping you'll fall asleep. So I do my half hour every morning and it's amazing how much you can get through in a week like that. But equally, if I can listen to things on Audible, then I can normally chunk away another whole load of stuff, either while dog walking or exercising or travelling on the tube or you know I mean it's amazing how much you are a very early riser I am I am I'm a I've always thought that about you whenever I get an email from you I'm like oh I was asleep (laughs) at this time I know well I'm I'm quite good now because I schedule emails so people don't normally know but I am up at five but generally I don't reply to emails till night time till the end of the afternoon now yeah 
I am. I'm up at five every morning, go to bed at half nine. So I still get my seven and a half hours sleep that I need. But that's just what I like. I like to be up. I like to have a bit of time to myself before everybody else starts looking for you. So um, (laughs) that's my, my early morning and it changes summer and winter exactly when I do things according to I don't really go out with the dogs until it's daylight so sometimes I work on something and then go out or but it changes around in the summer I can be out about half past five in the morning which I love so amazing it's good finally if you could take three foods or three pieces of equipment with you to a desert island what would you be taking oh so I'm a bit of a workaholic slash just an actual workaholic. So I think I'd definitely take my MacBook. Yep. And then I have to take two pieces of food. So I think I would take yogurt. I'm obsessed with yogurt. And all my friends know, you know, I am actually obsessed with and yogurt. And what's your favourite at the moment then? So I'm just kind of doing, so I'm trying to like bulk up and cut fat. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to do like loads of the, um, what's it called? The Kvarg, is it? The 0% fat. Yep. Yeah, that's amazing. My fridge is literally it's just such full a of those. It's such a big, thick product too. It just feels indulgent, doesn't it? Even though it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. So I would take that and I would also take some delicious non-alcoholic drinks. Good. Why not? I hope they'd be yours. Hopefully my own. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's really good. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for doing that with us. It's been really nice to talk to you. You know, I I know that everything that you've shared will help a lot of people too. So thank you very much for that. Thank you, Jane. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Let me introduce you with Jane Milton. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you don't miss an episode. Please leave a comment to let us know what you've enjoyed or connect to us on social media at Jane Milton Food. If you found it interesting, please share the details with other food businesses you know. We always love meeting new food businesses. See you next episode.